0: y'all i'm your host gabrielle and i'm alan welcome to the eerie touch where we dive into all things murder mystery and paranormal every week this week's episode is sponsored by apple username cpr is so erotic they want you to know that they just can't seem to understand us very well especially alan especially me especially you baby we sound like some brother Marion hillbillies that's found the internet. Now see us. Oh, now, babe, you know you know that I love you, but apparently that's just not good. So, <laughs> if you're into inbred hillbillies, well, then you might just like this episode.
1: So stick around. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Today's story comes from the hills of Kentucky, a little place called Hazard that wasn't much more than a dot on a mat back in 1820. Inbreeding became a result of a family who felt forced into hiding for over a 100 years, becoming one of the biggest phenomena on this side of the states. This is the story of the Fugates, the blue people of Kentucky. In 1804, simple adoptions were legally introduced in France. Now, this held the sole purpose of adopting those over the age of 21. This did two things. It carried on the adopter's surname while also giving the adoptee the same rights to inherit from the adopter as a legitimate child. It wasn't until the First World War that France decided to make it legal to adopt minors. You see, after that World War, there were tons of children who were left without parents and even family in general. Therefore, in France, the law of June 19, 1923, made it possible to adopt minors. However, mothers had been abandoning their children for years before this law was ever introduced. Most would either drop their children off at a hospice or give birth in the hospital where people and hospice authorities would come in, have the mother sign some papers, and the children would be taken into hospice. Those that were older were taken to dormitories until basically foster parents were found. Now, I know you're probably thinking, where in the world am I going with this? This is supposed to be about Kentucky. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) But this plays a very important role in the foundation of the Fugits family history. So, I hope you, Alan, and y'all listeners paid a little bit of attention there. Moving on to the nitty gritty here. Martin Fugit was an orphan from France. Though, he wasn't like all the others. His mother gave him up for adoption for the pure shame she felt when she first laid eyes on her baby boy. Martin's mother was horrified when she discovered she had given birth to a blue baby.
1: Now, blue as in it was stillborn, or or do you mean blue?
0: No, I mean blue, like indigo blue. Okay. He was overall a healthy baby. The only defect, if you even want to really call it that, was the fact that he had blue skin. Growing up in an orphanage was hard enough, yet alone being blue. Something that no one over there had ever seen before. He was bullied and picked on not just by other kids, but adults looked at him weird too. No one wanted a blue kid, and this all resulted in a much harder life for him.
1: I would say so. I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody stuck up for him or anything?
0: Maybe some, but you have to remember this is a totally different lifetime ago. Society was a lot harsher than it is today. Martin's childhood was a sad one. However, he dreamt of the day that he was old enough to run away from the world and live peacefully. Later on, in 1820, that's exactly what he set off to do. At the time, the U.S. was offering free land in the hopes of populating and building up economies in places like Kentucky. At some point, Martin hears wind about this and decides what better place to settle down in than the hills of Hazard, Kentucky. The area was everything he had ever dreamt of. Rolling hills of lush green tucked away in this perfect private oasis. There were big trees everywhere, well more than enough to build whatever kind of home he desired.
1: And small and quaint, I'm assuming. Given the government wants to populate the area.
0: Oh, very small and quaint. Actually... There was only four other families who lived there at the time of Martin's arrival. The Combs, the Stacys, the Ritchies, and the Smiths. The area was very small and very rural. There were no roads at all, and the railroad wouldn't even come through it until 1910. The people there, though, were seemingly less judgmental than his home was back in France. Don't get me wrong. They were a tad shocked to have first seen him, but overall, southern hospitality was their specialty. It's not too long after Martin begins to settle there when he is introduced to Elizabeth Smith, a local girl with porcelain skin and beautiful long red hair. The pair take up with one another fairly quickly and end up marrying that same year in 1820.
1: So, she obviously didn't care about his skin color.
0: Not in the least. Martin was a gentleman, a hard worker, and left her in ways that she had never experienced before. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> His blue complexion didn't mean anything to her. After marrying, the pair laid down their roots in Troublesome Creek, where they raised their seven children together.
1: Were any of their kids like blue, like their dad?
0: Four out of the seven children did. Throughout those years, a time or two, some of the family had traveled outside of the area, only to be met with glares, stares, and awkward or rude encounters. All this did was cause them to retract back to Troublesome Creek. For Martin, it was a for sure sign that nothing had changed in the outside world. Flashbacks from his childhood did nothing but make him feel as if he had to stay into hiding, as well as his children. He wanted to shield them from the hate and embarrassment that he had went through. It didn't take much convincing after the kids had their own experiences of hardships because of their skin color. They were now locally known as the Blue Fugates. It was decided Troublesome Creek, they would stay. They spent their time attending church and focused more on just basic life, harvesting their own food, housekeeping, and so on. Now, because of the lack of neighbors and natives in the area, it made it hard for the Fugits children to create families of their own. A lot of people that were there before Martin settled were already married. Plus, the majority of those families that I mentioned earlier that already lived there were also related to Elizabeth in some shape, way, or form. This resulted in the infamous inbreeding they're now known for. Martin and Elizabeth's older son, Zachariah, ends up marrying his aunt, Elizabeth's sister. Zachariah and his wife were both white, they, they didn't have the blue skin, but their kids end up marrying Zachariah's younger siblings, thus carrying on the blue skin. No one on the outside really wanted to marry any of the fugates in the fear of having blue offspring, so they did what they they felt they had to do, I guess, to be happy.
1: Uh, don't think I want to be happy it's, if that's what I have to do.
0: <laughs> well, maybe that wasn't the best way of putting it, but I don't know how else to explain it. As the Fugits family expanded, so did the houses. There were lines of log cabins that ran along one another across the land. With each new marriage came a new cabin and life carried on as it always had.
1: So they all stayed there and never wanted to move out or explore or anything?
0: Well, not every one of them found solitude staying in Troublesome Creek. Some of those that liked the blue skin moved out of the area to experience what they felt they were missing. As time passes, more and more of the Fugits' descendants moved out and new people moved in. This allowed the family to stop inbreeding, which, in the end, reduced the chance of more blue people.
1: Did any of them ever wonder why they were blue? I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. they know they're the only people around, uh, maybe even the world at this point. Why didn't they go to the doctor or or something?
0: Well, most of them were afraid of being called a monster or being a sideshow attraction, and none of them wanted to be the focal point of some medical experiments. I can see that. And I don't blame them for that last one, either. Yet, sooner or later, some of them do start to wonder. They lived their whole lives afraid to be seen, afraid of embarrassment and ridicule. It was only inevitable that eventually one of them would seek help. In the 1960s, two of the Fugit's descendants, Rachel and Patrick Ritchie, would meet with a Dr. Madison Collin. Dr. Cowan was a doctor at the University of Kentucky. Throughout the years, the blue people of Kentucky had become almost like folklore. Most had heard about them, but very little had seen them. Dr. Collin had become so fascinated by the stories he had heard that he embarks on an eight-hour commute through the mountains in the hopes of finding these famous blue people.
1: Did he even know where they actually lived?
0: Not an inkling. All he knew was they were somewhere in hazard. Once he had arrived in Hazard, he did the only reputable thing that he could think of. He started going into hospitals and clinics, introducing himself and asking medical personnel if they had seen anyone with blue skin come in. Time after time, Dr. Colwyn left disappointed until he meets a nurse named Ruth Pendergrass. Ruth tells him that she actually had. She recalls that not too long ago, she started hearing someone knocking on the back door. And when she goes to open it, there in the cold, frigid air was a woman, completely blue, with lips as blue as a bruise, asking for a routine blood test. Ruth tried to hurry the woman inside, scared to death that she was about to die right in front of her from a heart attack.
1: I, I can understand that. I mean, people usually start to turn blue when they go into cardiac arrest, you know, because of the lack of blood circulation.
0: Right. Well, Ruth had never in all of her years of nursing witnessed a blue person that wasn't about to go into cardiac arrest. But the woman didn't want to be seen by a lot of people, hence the fact she didn't go through the front entrance. The blue woman was quick to calm Ruth down and explain that the blue skin had ran in her family. She had had it all her life and that she was hoping a blood test could further explain why. Ruth ends up telling Dr. Conwin that the woman's name was Rachel Ritchie. After discovering where the Fugits family lived... Dr. Collin takes Ruth with him, and they go to Troublesome Creek in the hopes of finding one of them. Now, let me remind y'all that there wasn't any roads to these houses. There's just like walking trails from here and there. So, Ruth and Dr. Collin end up walking up this hill, and they notice at the top of it, there's a blue person. Without thinking this whole scenario through, Dr. Collins starts yelling at this person, trying to talk to them, but all it does is spook the blue person out, and they take off running down the other side of the hill.
1: I I can see that. I mean, you're (laughs) out in the hills and someone just starts yelling at you? Yeah, I'd take off running, too. I'd probably hide somewhere with my gun drawn, thinking they were out to kill me or something. I mean, especially, (laughs) you know, I'm already blue, Mm -hmm. so I, I would assume they could felt they really couldn't trust anybody to begin with.
0: I know, right? He very clearly didn't think this decision through. They take off chasing him, but in the end, they lose him. The wor- even
1: even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Dr. Collin and Ruth make their way back to the town defeated. All out of options, Dr. Colin decides all he can do now is wait, and maybe he'll come across them eventually. He ends up staying a bit in Hazard, and by mere coincidence or chance... One day, while at the clinic with Ruth, Patrick and Rachel Ritchie walk in. The two of them trust Ruth's judgment when she asks them to speak to Dr. Colin. She explains that he's really just wants to help and nothing more. Once inside, Dr. Cowan begins examining the both of them, and he's astonished yet empathetic. The pair are very obviously ashamed of their skin. Patrick stayed hunched over looking at the ground while... Rachel stayed leaned up against the wall, both refusing to go into the waiting room. They were ashamed since by this point blue skin had become known to society with inbreeding. It's like nothing Dr. Collin has ever seen before and he is now even more determined than ever to help Patrick and Rachel. He asks them questions and personal questions that made the blue pair uneasy, of course, that these were things that he needed to know to track down whatever was causing this phenomenon. He runs through the family's history and all sorts of tests on Patrick and Rachel. He checks their heart and liver, thinking that disease of one or the other could be the culprit, only to discover that they were completely healthy. It isn't until later that he begins to remember that he had actually read something similar to this, that there had been many indigenous people in Anchorage, Alaska, that had been found with blue skin. Did
1: they ever discover what was causing it in them?
0: They had. As it turns out, they were missing this enzyme that helps oxygenate their blood properly. He runs back to Hazard and sets off finding the Richies. Dr. Caldwell needed fresh blood samples to do the enzyme essay, which basically just means it's a test that checks your enzyme activity. When he gets to them, they actually take him to meet more of their family that's been affected by this. Dr. Collin gets introduced to 76-year-old Zachariah Fugate himself, who's deep indigo blue. He's also taken to Aunt Bessie Fugate, who had an iron pot of clothes boiling in the front yard, but was very sweet and willing to help. She ended up letting him take some of her blood and everything.
1: Boiling clothes in the yard. (laughs) What a simpler time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought the same thing. After Dr. Collin had all that he needed... He took his samples back to run the enzyme essay, and it was exactly what he had thought. The blood had accumulated so much blue molecule that it was overwhelming the normal hemoglobin, a blood disorder now known as methemoglobinemia, where there are elevated levels of methemoglobin in the blood.
1: And exactly what is that?
0: It's a form of hemoglobin that contains iron that's been converted from ferrous to ferric form.
1: And which one is it supposed to be
0: now? It should be ferrous. Hemoglobin is a protein in red blood cells that transport oxygen throughout the body. Raised levels of it happen when mechanisms defend against oxidative stress. People who have lower to moderate amounts of it can have shortness of breath, headaches, fatigue, dizziness, and the infamous blue skin. Though typically, the blue tint would just affect the one isolated body part.
1: I'm guessing like your fingers, toes, feet, stuff like that.
0: Yep. And those who suffer from high amounts of it can have seizures, fall into comas, or even die. Those who suffer from methemoglobinemia tend to have chocolate brown blood instead of red because of the lack of oxygen. That
1: would be so weird. It would freak me out to cut myself uh, you know, or something and just saw brown <laughs> blood coming out.
0: Me too. I'd probably start to panic thinking like I'm not real or something or like I'm stuck in an alternate universe where everyone has chocolate blood. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, you have some who have moderate or low amounts that are actually completely healthy and may not have any symptoms at all. Usually, it can be inherited or by exposure to some drugs and chemicals, for example, benzocaine, which... I have had and never knew that.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that either. I mean, when you first told me about it, I, I had to look it up because I, I didn't think you, I didn't really believe you. Mm-hmm.
0: And as always, I was right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Overall, though, it is rare, like very rare. You almost never see it, which is why Dr. Collin, along with the rest of the area, were so taken back by the Blue Fugits. Throughout Dr. Cowan's research on the family, he discovered two things. One, obviously being the blood disorder. And two, being how it's ran in the family for over 150 years. As it turns out, Elizabeth was actually a carrier of it too.
1: Wait, but she wasn't blue, right?
0: Nope. But not everyone is blue that may have it. It all depends on how much of the enzyme you have, whether or not your skin turns blue. It was already a rare condition, but it was like a one in a billion chance that two people who had it would actually meet and marry. I mean, what are the odds of that? Now, even though inbreeding isn't what causes blue skin, it was the close relation of inbreeding that triggered their bloodline to be one of the highest percent of methemoglobinemia in the world.
1: So was there a cure?
0: Dr. Colin had come up with a cure for it. He injects Rachel and Patrick with 100 milligrams of methylene blue, which helps oxygen travel throughout your blood. Ruth accompanied him, and she has been stated saying out of all of her years of nursing, she had never seen such a change in her life. Within minutes of the injections, their skin turned pink and lively for the first time in their lives. Rachel and Patrick were forever thankful for Dr. Cowan and Ruth for introducing them to him.
1: So did the injections, I mean, cure them for good?
0: Not for good. But he also gave them methylene tablets to take every day for as long as they wanted to not be blue. But the story doesn't end here. Dr. Cowan ends up publishing the Fugate case in the medical journal. The outcome of that was reporters and journalists all over hoping for an interview with one of the Fugates. Hilda Stacy, a descendant of the family, actually agrees to do one, but the journalist was rude, asked too many personal questions, and stayed judgmentally transparent the entire time, so Hilda ends it. Hollywood tried their fair share on it, as always. Film crews wanted to do a documentary on the family and showed up to only be met with angry, savage guard dogs, which, good for them. I hate when people can't be empathetic. So they were scared out of those Kentucky hills. As time has carried on, all of the direct descendants of the Fugates have passed on, and the Blue People became a part of history. That is, until 1975. In 1975, Benjamin Stacy was born. Doctors and medical personnel naturally fell into a panic when out came a Blue baby boy. They ran so many tests on this poor baby and were about to do a transfusion when Benjamin's mama spoke to doctors and asked if they had ever heard of the Blue Fugits. Okay, now I need you to pay attention because it's going to be easy to get lost here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, so Benji's mama's mother, which would have been Benji's great mama, was Luna Fugit. Luna's father was Levi. And he was the son, one of the sons, of Zachariah. Now, Levi had married one of the Ritchie girls. He bought 200 acres of land along Ball Creek where they raised all eight of their children, which that included Luna. Luna married John Stacy. John and Luna were both attending an old regular Baptist church when they met. And Luna was blue, John is white, just to clarify. John Quartzer. ends up marrying Luna. When they marry, he moves to make a living off of timber on her daddy's land. They lived on Lick Branch of Ball Creek in a two-room cabin that he had built for her. Now is where it gets sad. At the time that this interview took place in 82, I believe, Luna had been dead for about 20 years and John was still living. Their son lived in a nice home next to his daddy, in a a modern up-to-date home, while John still lived in that same two-room cabin. His son had said that he had offered to get his daddy a new home, but John wouldn't have it, telling him that he wasn't going to leave the house that he had built for his dearest Luna.
1: That's actually pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, inside. <laughs> Poor John. Well, he talked about Luna all the time, but he couldn't or he didn't want to remember that she was blue. Anytime he was asked about it, he would just shake his head and just, like, stare straight forward.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the love of his life. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he wasn't going to let, you know, let her be the topic of gossip and, you know, rumors while he was still around.
0: Oh, 100%. Anyways, so back to Benji. So after doctors were informed about his ancestry, they calmed down a bit. Benji actually ends up losing his blue skin pretty quickly, and it never came back. The only blue he's ever had is on his lips or his fingertips when he gets agitated or cold. Benjamin Stacy is the last known descendant of the Fugates' blue bloodline. People outside the family that knew the Fugates described them as hard-working, thoughtful people who attended church regularly and was always willing to help out when need be. Today, almost all of the family has passed on, but their legacy has remained the topic of conversation all throughout. The Blue People of Appalachia will remain a part of its history for years to come. Again, I'm your host, Gabrielle. And I'm Ella. We'll talk next week. You can check out our website, theerytouch.com, for our reference photos and source materials for each episode. You can listen to this podcast on basically any platform, including YouTube. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for new leads and updates. And we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. It could really help us out.